Hey everyone, this is post-processing Delton here coming in before the episode starts. I just wanted to let you guys know that there seems to have been an issue with the microphone cable that Haley used for this episode. Her audio is going to be a little strange, kind of echoey, I did my best. You can still understand her, but I just want to let you know we're going to fix that cable for next time, and everything else should be good starting next episode. Thank you guys again, and here's the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode number 35. 35, basically a third of our lifetime of 100 years, if we were people. If the podcast was a person. Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense unless you look at science that says that time is actually a bunch of wibbly, wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. But then it makes sense. And time doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I'm going to take a vow of silence now. You should. You should definitely take a vow of silence now. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host this wonderful Sunday. And with me today is my co-host and wife, Haley. She's still in a vow of silence, but she's over there and nodded hello. This is a podcast all about tabletop games, board games, card games, role-playing games, and things of that sort, mainly focusing on board games. Vow of silence is over. It's the longest I've ever been quiet in my life. I honestly think that's accurate. I didn't like it. Aside from being asleep. I'm back. You're back now? Yeah, Sue's back. Back again. Haley's back. Hello, friend. Today's been a weird day. Why? Because our power went out. (laughs) Do you not remember? This giant pole over by the car wash are flattened. So the power line that leads into the neighborhood, uh, we have a very, very windy day today. And that power line was completely knocked over, which had our house flash power several times very quickly and then shut off. Which led Delton to have a heart attack thinking that his computer had been fried. I unplugged the computer, the monitors, the like router and modem and TVs and consoles and everything electronic I could find. Even though I use power strips, I know that I don't use the really high-end ones <laughs> because I don't want to pay for those. So it kind of freaked me out for a minute, but luckily everything is up and running and normal. And nothing in our refrigerator went bad because we just went grocery shopping last night. That and the power wasn't out long enough for the fridge to go bad. Thank, Thank goodness. Thank goodness. We had to do our workout this morning on Delton's phone. And it was the worst workout yet. First world problems. We are so spoiled. Yeah, well, it kept buffering and stopping and buffering. And it was so annoying when you're in the middle of like a set of 10 of something and then they stop at six and you're like, all right, I guess I'll finish. And then it kicks back in. It turned a 40 minute workout into a 47 minute workout. Was that all? Uh, well, it felt like forever. It I felt know. like a 40-minute workout turned into an hour and a half. We can't handle this, man. No, that workout was a lot. My butt hurts. It hurts from yesterday's workout, and it hurts more now from today's. The glutes are sore. Hey, I got a joke. Uh, it's a, is it going to have glutamus in it? Close. Go ahead. If I don't have a butt, does that make me gluten-free? I hate you so <laughs> much. I hate you so much. So this week has been a normal week. I don't think anything crazy's happened, has it? Been hashtag self-caring. Haley's been self-caring very well, playing guitar and doing stuff she wants to do while I come back and play Apex Legends. It's amazing what taking an hour lunch break does every day. Like, I've actually been taking a lunch break for the first time in months, and it's been wonderful. I've had to convince her that she needs to actually eat and relax on lunch and not work through it, so she's finally talked herself into it, and it's good. 
I went for a walk on my last lunch break and I discovered six dogs within a half a block radius of my work. Were there people with those dogs? There were not. Were they just strays? They were inoffensive, but you know, oh, okay. it's frets, so. So it goes behind like houses with fences? Yeah. Uh, okay, I was thinking there's just like a pack of stray dogs. So over by my work, I work on a street called Frets in Edmond. And it's like, I don't know, the low income place of Edmond, which basically means that a house needs painted. Like it's, yes. it's not very crazy. But they decided to, oh, I don't know who they is, but someone decided to build some apartment condos uh, right behind my work. And so you have these like 120, probably 90 to 120 thousand dollar houses right by these $450,000 condos. Is that how much those cost? $450,000. I'm like, they're trying so hard to gentrify it and just nobody's letting them. They've been up for like seven years and they're still all for sale. Is this the one that's like the townhouses and yes. lofts? Oh, those are really nice, but yeah, that's yeah. a lot. Like, we, Delt and I live right by it. So we, we live in the low income part of Edmond, which is well, not saying a lot. We don't live in the low income part, but we live in a... We're old, Edmund poor. We're, we are. We we're live in Edmund an poor. older neighborhood. The, our neighborhood has a lot of um, people with like, they live in their house and down the street, their grandkids live there with their, you know, stuff like that. Like we just have an older neighborhood. I think the median age in our neighborhood is probably 65. The median income in Edmund, not the average, the median is about $250,000 a year. And we are definitely on the low end of that. Yeah, we're Edmund poor. <laughs> yeah, for our city. Our city is... Uh, Edmond is at the north part of Oklahoma City, and it's essentially the rich part of the Oklahoma City metro, aside from several neighborhoods such as Nichols Hills and the Gallardia Edition. Like Nichols Hills, I think the minimum house is just over a million. The Gallardia Edition's the same way. And you can't even get to Gallardia. Like, you can't even go sell Girl Scout cookies there. You can't even go look at Christmas lights. And they have to boss Christmas lights. They don't let you in. Yeah, Nichols Hills down in Oklahoma City, which is the old money rich neighborhood, right. I want to say. It has its own police force, its own school system, their own property tax for their own. They're almost like, they're like the Vatican of Oklahoma City. They are a city, <laughs> a city state in their own because if you drive through and their police see you and they're not sure, they will pull you over just to ask you what you're doing. They will. Through those neighborhoods. So, well, it, it, you know, yeah. Which we can't say much. But anyway, we like where we live. It's an older neighborhood. It's quiet. Kids play in the street, which is annoying, but also good because they leave their bikes in the street. We've talked about that before. Last episode or two episodes ago, we talked about being old people. Yes, we were old people. I was just trying to follow the chain of our conversation because I was like, how did we get on Nichols Hills Police? And then I remembered the chain of events, me going for a walk, seeing dogs, seeing those apartments. That conversation is my brain 24-7. It's really crazy. Delton will be halfway through a sentence <laughs> and the conversation topic will change. It happens far more often than I want it to. But I just, I get these ideas and I go with it because that's... I am never bored. My brain makes these connections. I have never been bored in seven years of our relationship. I have never been bored. This is why podcasts have editing. Because <laughs> if I was able to just sit and rant, it would be ridiculous and nobody would be able to keep up with it. So it makes it nice and easy for me to make myself seem like I can form cohesive, sound sentences and follow logical thoughts in the correct direction and be fine. But no, it usually spiders out really badly. These podcasts are originally four hours long, and it's mostly Haley directing Delton to get back on topic. <laughs> and Delton just edits them down to 42 minutes. <laughs> That's not too far <laughs> off. That is not too far <laughs> off. What are we drinking today, Delton? So today, our first beer, even though it's one o'clock on a Saturday, our first beer is Cucumber Saison from Elk Valley Brewing Company. 
Uh, it's a Saison aged on cucumbers. I don't know how that happens. Um, is it pickle beer? I You could say that, but I mean, cucumbers aren't pickles, but are they? Dun dun. <laughs> this is this is really bad. They they used white text on a yellow background, and it's kind of hard to read right there. It says this light, refreshing, and crisp saison is the treat you didn't even know you were waiting for. A perfect beer to enjoy a warm day. Oh wait, hold on. <laughs> a perfect beer to enjoy on warm days while gardening, fishing, camping, or pickle canning. From our crew to yours, cheers. And there's a pickle with a mustache. And I guess it's a cucumber with a mustache, some glasses, and a rubber ducky in the river. Who cans pickles? You jar those babies. Well, I mean, it's called canning. Like, my grandma always called it canning. Like, I have canned goods, and it's always mason jars. Yes, that's true. I think it has to do with the quote-unquote can cooker, which uh, is the pressure yeah. cooker they use. So I think that's where that comes from. I could be literally 100% wrong, but grandma has always said these are canned this, canned that canned green beans i think we always called it jarred yeah I, it's i don't know i have no idea if i had a saison like if i were to make one you know what i'd call it saison my face no i just i, just, I tried to come up with anything and it made no sense saison it ain't so do you like it i hate it you like it hate you if anybody would like a free haley give me your mailing address and some horse tranquilizer, <laughs> and we can make it happen. I don't think you need to give me horse tranquilizer. No, I would like rat tranquilizer. <laughs> so let's let's take a good whiff. It smells different. Doesn't smell strong. It looks like pickle brine. I mean, it looks like beer, a really light beer. It has an odd taste to it. If it's aged on cucumbers, does that make this a smoothie? That's healthy? I don't think so. I think that same argument is for the people who say ketchup is a vegetable. Well, that's what the USDA labels it to be. Well, they don't know what they're doing half the time, I feel. So this isn't bad. It's very light. It's a little thin on the mouthfeel. It's like, I mean, it's not much different than drinking a little bit bubbly water, which not my favorite mouthfeel. It does remind me of that garden party, the one we got from Free State Brewery in Kansas. Except garden party's way better. Garden party has more of that juniper. Like, this is yeah. garden party without the juniper. Almost, yeah. It's not bad. It's not as sour as I like a Saison. Every time I hear Saison, I think of a sour. And I do really enjoy sours, but this has a little bit of a tartness to it, but not bad. Well, Delton, which way do we go from here? Oh, here's the door. Uh, uh. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. So today, for the game of this episode, we are discussing Broom Service. This is a game released, I believe, in 2015? I think that's right. It won the Spiel des Jahres. Kennerspiel des Jahres, which is Strategy Game of the Year in Germany. Uh, it's either 2014 or 2015. Looks like 2015. It is designed by Andreas Pelikan and Alexander Pfister. So Alexander Pfister is the only of these two names I recognize offhand. Uh, he's done games such as Isle of Sky, Great Western Trail, The New Blackout Hong Kong. Goods. Yeah, oh my goods. Um, so several big games. The design and the artwork illustrations are all done by Vincent Dutrait which is a very popular artist in the board game world. He's done a lot of fantasy stuff. Me and Haley discussed on the art in this game that like it almost feels like we wish it would be updated, but at the same time, it feels like an old storybook, like an old fairy tale book you would find from your parents. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was just thinking. It reminds me of one that your parents might have had that your grandma gave to you whenever you were a kid. Yeah, it's like, I mean, he's a great artist. He knows what he's doing, but he always chooses a style that, I feel like fits 
what he wants. And so in this one, it feels like you're looking at artwork from some old fairy tale book. So Broom Service is a game all about witches delivering potions to different towers across the board. So in the game, you're going to have a deck of 10 cards every turn. Everybody picks four of those, plays those cards, and those cards then manipulate your resources, where your witches on the board move, and the different things you're allowed to do. So you pick four of those cards for your turn, you play them, do some stuff, and then add up points at the end. So it's not too terribly complex, even though it kind of looks at it first. The fun of this game, what I think is the amazing part of this game, is the actual way in which the cards are played. So the board is made up of different regions, such as forests and mountains and such. And there are some cards allow you to move, some cards allow you to gain resources, some cards allow you to deliver, and then each card actually has two things you can do. It has a brave and a cowardly action. So this is the whole center of the game, of what this game revolves around. And really something that uh, Alexander Pfister does quite a bit in his games. He really does. By giving you the option between this or this action, like an oh my goods. Yeah, kind of a multi-use situation. Right. So in Broom Service, if I picked the Mountain Witch, which would allow me to, if I take the Brave action, move into a mountain space that's adjacent to where one of my witches are on the board, and deliver, or if I take the Cowardly, I can move, but I can't deliver. So the caveat with the Brave and the Cowardly actions are, if you play a card, you can pick either one. Obviously, the brave action is going to be more beneficial. However, if you play a card, everybody after you in turn order has to play that card if they have chosen it as one of their four for the turn. If you played it and you picked cowardly, they can play it and pick brave or cowardly. However, if you played it and picked brave, then everybody else has a chance in turn order to play and take that brave action, which means you do not receive anything. The cowardly actions happen immediately and the brave action is the last person to claim it. So you can get those beneficial actions taken from you. So it is risky to play the brave action first. This is one of those games where you really don't want to be the first player. You're kind of, you have the upper hand if you are not the first person going around. Because let's say I lay down a card and I really want to play the brave action and I, and I choose it. Well, Felton's the second player and if he has it, he can, he can take that from me. And I no longer have the ability to play that action. So you almost want to be the second player. But you can't be the second player unless somebody takes the first player spot from you by playing a brave card. Yes, the last one to play a brave action starts with their next card. They're the ones to play the next card. And that's very true. The second player position is more beneficial because you get more choice to make. The only problem is it's fun. That's why I like this game is if you play the brave action as the first player and I'm second, I can take it from you. I can take your action completely. Because like I said, cowardly actions happen immediately, but brave only happens to the last person to claim it. So I can take the brave action from you. But the problem is, is even if I can take that brave action, it could have been something I wanted to do as my third action in the round. And so you could have completely disrupted my entire plan, like you did in the game that we played, where you cut my ending where I was about to gain like 15 or 16 points. Hey, <laughs> I won. But it is, it's, it's beneficial to be second. But it's also beneficial to be first. I really want to see how this plays out with three or more players. With two players, it's really fun. And there are modifications to make the game more difficult with a two-player. Yes. So I, I'm really, really excited to play this with a third or a fourth person. Because I want to see how, theoretically speaking, it's 
more likely that somebody's going to have the card that you played in their hand. So I want to see how we navigate that. And it's so interesting to play a card and then every other player, if they have it, they have to play it. And I find that to be such an interesting thing. But it is one of those games where I'm not a fan of games being mean. But in this game, every single thing you do influences other people. They have to play their cards. Why wouldn't they take the brave action? It almost presents itself as a it presents itself as a game that's going to be very cutthroat, and it is. But it, to me, it doesn't feel mean because that's the only way the game functions. Does that make any sense? Like, you don't really go out of your way trying to screw other people up very often. Yes, but I'm still salty at you for saying you don't like mean <laughs> games. And I'm not going to talk about Ticket to Ride. You know what I'm going to talk about? Raiders of the North Sea. Yes. So we're playing Raiders of the North Sea with Brian a couple of weeks ago. And it comes to the very last turn. And I have the perfect play to win. I have enough resources to win. I have to take one more action to win. Belton has no chance of winning. It doesn't even matter. He has no chance in his turn. His turn is over. He can really do nothing with this turn of significance that would have brought him up. So you know what he does? I gained a point. Oh, you gained a point. He gained a point and made me lose about 16 because he took one of my gold resources like a jerk. I had a card that was take a resource. And And he took it from me, and I would have won. He let Brian win. He can't (laughs) say that he doesn't tag team with Brian against me because he just did that just to make Brian win. No, I didn't do that. I was hoping I could pull ahead by keeping you back enough, and it didn't How? You had no chance. You lost pretty bad, honey. Obviously, I couldn't read the board state very well, (laughs) but I honestly, I took the piece from Haley without meaning. Like I didn't think about this is what she needs to go rating. That's a lie and a half. No, really. I just thought about, I just need a point. You've got a gold and a stone. I'll just take the gold. And then after it happened, I was like, oh, no, in my head, because I knew I was going to get it. No, you realized what was going on (laughs) as you were picking it up. I seriously didn't. Nuh-uh, because you picked it up, and you had it in your palm, and you looked at me and goes, oh, shit, I didn't realize I was going to do this. And I was like, (laughs) you son of a buck, I don't like you. Uh, So, mean, I don't like mean games, my ass. Okay, well, anyway, Broom Service is one of those games to where every action does influence your opponents. Give me another beer. (laughs) Every time you take... A brave action, you're potentially stealing it from an opponent. And there's just this sense of everything you do influences your opponents and everything they do influences you when it comes to everything except for moving on the board. But delivering the potions to towers, some of the towers, they go out and they can never be delivered to again. There's just a lot going on that affects your opponents, but it doesn't feel like a negative way. It doesn't have that feel bad to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, because that one. Yes, you did win by, <laughs> by a good amount, I should point out. But it's been really fun. It's just such an interesting idea that these cards, you choose the better action, the worse action, but the better can be taken. But no matter which action you choose, everybody has to follow with that card. And the moral of this game is even witches need jobs. Even witches need jobs. But yes, Broom Service has been really fun. I really, really enjoy it. I am going to recommend it. We got it during BGG Secret Santa this last year. We got it along with Charterstone. I'm really glad I got to play it. I'm a big Alexander Fister fan. The more of his games I play, the more I like them. And Broom Service is really good. I really think it's worth playing. Um, If it doesn't sound like your type of game, that's fine, because it is very interactive. You can screw up people's plans. But I think it's very well done. It's very fun. The rulebook is... I didn't have any problems with the rulebook, really. There was one little detail I missed, but it's good. I'm going to talk about the beer this time. Okay, you talk about the beer before the topic. So this is beer. Okay. You can. Okay. Cold, dogfish head, one coconut, centric, jumping party. This IPA is brewed with a tropical trifecta of toasted coconut, 
experimental hops, and coconut water. I'm sorry, we're sitting in the dark because Delta's an old man. He says that the light hurts his eyes. I don't like overhead <laughs> light when it's shining down. If it fills the room by shining at the ceiling and reflecting, I'm fine. But this is white text on a lime green can that's, that's also metallic. That's true. And I'm reading it based on the light given to me by the computer monitor. This is a Dogfish Head Lupa Luau IPA. It is a coconut IPA. It's in a green can. It has coconuts on it. And it has hops signifying that it is a coconut IPA. You ready for this? I'm ready. Let's do it. Dogfish Head is one of our favorites. We've talked about them several times and have had several of their beers on the show. But I just feel like I've never disliked something they've done, which is very much saying something for a beer company because almost every company has one or two beers that I'm just not fond of. And Dogfish Head doesn't seem to be that company. So while Haley is getting this beer poured, one of the things we really enjoyed about Broom Service is how to actually play it best, you need to be aware of what your opponent is doing. And you need to make sure to focus and see when you can benefit from that. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So this is one of my favorite things to do in games. But this is one of my favorite things to do anyway because my master's degree is in glorified people watching. I love to watch people. You like to watch people? What were you watching just now? Delton go, like, squint his face with his eyeballs getting big. In a good way. I tried the beer. Go ahead and smell it. See what it smells like. I keep getting pineapple as a smell, but the taste has a finish of coconut, which is very interesting. It's like that smell in the back of your throat whenever you smell sunscreen. Almost. Like, the, the slightly good smell. It's like reminiscent yeah. of your childhood kind of thing. Yeah. Never thought I'd drink beer and think of my childhood, but here we are. There we go. <laughs> That's only with wine, usually. This is very good, actually. Very good. It's definitely more of a summery beer, but we're getting there. 100% dogfish head. 100%. They're always good. But go ahead. You were saying. I like to watch people, which is weird. Speaking of watching people, we should have told them about our story at the Wolf Trap the other night. Oh, my goodness. Go ahead real fast. Okay. So. We went to the sketchy bar, which I had a conversation with my mom. She used to go to this bar in the 80s, and based on her description, this bar has not changed since then. That sounds right, looks right, and feels right when you're in there. It is sketchy as hell. So we go there for our friend's uh, husband's birthday party. We just met her husband. We were just hanging out, chilling. Delton's over there playing his ski ball or whatever. Shuffleboard, thank you. Oh, shuffleboard. It's even better. He's playing shuffleboard with the birthday boy. Yes. And I'm sitting over at the table with the with the girls with my friend amber a couple of her friends from high school and we're just sitting there chilling there's these two guys who keep coming up to the table uh they go by kit kat kit and cat don't know what their real names are one says he has nine felonies the other one says he has a minor in psychology and analyzes me which i'm like this is fun but anyway it was fun for about 20 minutes and they wouldn't leave us alone even though we kept asking politely so i convinced them that jesus was a pirate i think they were really drunk they were, <laughs> but I made up Bible verses and everything. Isaiah 4.17, Jesus sails on the high wind, let him be your compass. It's <laughs> so good. But by the, so good. By the end of it, one of the guys kept saying, amen, 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 sister. Awesome. And then he goes over to his other friend and starts explaining how Jesus is a pirate, so I think I won. All that being said, I love people watching and interacting with people. It's so much fun. And how does that tie into today's topic? Because you have to people watch and interact with people. Hey. So board gaming is all about playing board games, of course, and strategy. But it's also about interacting with your opponent. Unless you're playing like a, a solitary game, which even then, something like Sagrada, where you're building a solitary board, you still have to rely on what the other person's choice is going to be as you make your own, right? 
So with room service, you have to people watch and you have to interact with another person. You have to almost manipulate your turn so that their turn is manipulated so that you come over on top. So for example, there were a couple of times where I was the first player and I was really afraid that Delton was going to take the uh, card that I needed. So I guesstimated what card he might have in his hand based on what he had on the board. And I chose one throwaway card every turn. And that throwaway card, if I was the first player, I played that first and chose the brave action. Well, Delton immediately has to play his. And that makes him, and most of the time he chose the brave action if I chose the brave action, which means that he's now the first player. So that throwaway card, I was able to play that, making Delton the first player. And so if we start to play, again, uh, he's now the first player, and I'm free to play my brave actions as second player. Does that make sense? It does. I guess the only bad thing there is, had I had a card that would have spoiled your plan, right? I could have ruined it or at least thrown off your order of actions. I mean, it didn't work every time, but it worked most of the time. Oh, yeah. But it is. It's a game where you have to focus on that. You have to focus on that. You have to focus on what their strategy is. What can I play to manipulate the circumstances to where their action might not work out? And there's something rewarding in games when you have to focus on your opponent's strategy. You have to read what they're going to do. And you have to try to kind of guess and make assumptions because when that pays off, it's like you hit the jackpot. It just feels amazing. It feels almost as amazing as convincing two guys that Jesus was a pirate. It really does. (laughs) They're probably having some existential crisis about now. They probably are. Or they just don't remember. One of the two. Probably not. Oh, well. But it's fun in games when you do. You look at the board, you think your opponent's going for something, and then you get it right. And you're able to disrupt it or offset it or put them a turn behind. In a game like this, to where you are interacting and those that kind of stuff matters so much, it is very, very nice to get that reward. But it's fun to watch people and plan. It adds another element to a game. Because you can play a game where everyone's doing their own thing. They're building up whatever they're doing. So let's say an easy one's number nine. Everybody draws a number, and you just place it on your board. And at the end, whoever has the most points wins. It's nice and simple. It's nothing complicated. You don't have to worry about what your opponents are doing. What they do doesn't matter to you at all. So it is that multiplayer solitaire where everyone's just doing their own thing. However, when you start bringing games like this in, or let's say Agricola, if you really want the wood and somebody takes it, it's going to disrupt your plan. But you could do it to disrupt somebody. However, most games, that doesn't reward anything. Broom service, it does. And there are games out there that do that. And so to me, it's really fun to notice what they're going for and to, if it's beneficial for you, to take advantage of that. And I think this is one of those games for sure. You now know my strategy, by the way. I know your strategy now, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I'll come up with a new one. Yeah, I, for me personally, I like more interactive board games. I, I do like the solitary board games, solitaire, whatever you call them. But I really like games where my move is sometimes even dependent on your move. Because I like to think on my feet. Yes, I like to strategery. Yes, I like to strategize. And maybe I'll plan out three or four moves in advance if I can. But I also love whenever my plans are thwarted. And I have to think on my feet and come up with something on the fly that works. So I love it. That kind of disruption for me throws me off so much. It's just most games, it's going to ruin me. I'm going to get flustered. I'm not going to know where to go. And I'm just going to be thrown off to the point where I'm going to lose. That's just where it's at. I get, you know, it's it's weird. Broom service was one, though, that when you're thwarted, there's so little on the board. You know what I mean? Like you have two people on the board and that's it, that you can still recover from stuff like that. But some games, 
when your plan's messed up, it can really hit you if you're not quick on your feet and you're really good about adapting and um, being able to change in those situations where I am not so much that way, which is very evident in mine and Brian's through the ages playthrough on the app. Because anytime he does stuff and ruins my plans, I'm like, all right, game's over. I don't even want to play anymore because <laughs> I hate military in that game. I'm sorry, Hemi. Brian had like 20 soldiers and I had like none. Oh, you're going to die. I was just going for culture and trying to get points as fast as possible and just didn't quite work out. You're Greasy's realm. Basically. But yeah, watching people in games is very fun. It's something we enjoy. Um, it's not always my favorite. I do enjoy games like Great Western Trail, which is another Alexander Fister game where it pays to notice what your opponents are doing because you can place buildings that make them pay you. So there's a little interaction and buying different things. There's a little interaction, but there's not a lot, but I do think it's, uh, I do think it has a nice blend of you're doing your own thing, but you can slightly influence other players and they can slightly influence you. So I like a level of it where it's a little lighter. I think you like more influence than I do on other people. That is. Yes, I do. And I like people having influence on me too, because I I just love the interaction. I love, I love people watching. I love people interacting. It's in bars and in board games. So speaking of interacting with people, there is one place where interacting with people is never a great thing. That's customer service, like in broom service. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special bite-sized question. For the question today, we wanted to do something kind of goofy. Broom service, they're delivering potions. The witches are. That's their jobs. Haley, what was your first job or two? So I started both of mine at the same time. Can I say both of them? Go for it. I was a 14-year-old Western furniture salesman and Avon lady. Gross. Um, my mom bought a Western furniture and clothing store when I was 14, and she was the only one who worked it. So, of course, we had to work it as well. That's just how it is. And so we go to work with mom, and that's where I learned sales at age 14. And at the same time, mom signed me up for an Avon. So I was an Avon lady at 14, too. I was the highest earning Avon lady in Beckham County for one quarter in 2007. Of course you were. Or 2006, I apologize. So yeah, that was my first job was Avon lady and Western furniture salesman. That sounds terrible. I don't know how I sold anything. You think I look young now. I looked about <laughs> nine years old at age 14. That sounds right, because at age 15, you looked eight years old and you went in reverse for a while. <laughs> Pretty sure that's what happened. <laughs> then you hit 18 and it started back up from six. And you're like, all right, we're good. We're getting somewhere. <laughs> and here you are. Here I am. I got ID'd. Uh, oh, speaking of the wolf trap, I got ID'd twice at the wolf trap. Once was understandable when I bought my first beer. The second time, I'm holding the beer that I'm drinking, standing near the bar, not even buying anything. And the bartender comes up and asks for my ID. I'm like, man, I'm not even attempting anything. Yeah, you were just holding a beer you already purchased and already showed your ID. Yeah, but he didn't believe me, so I showed him again. I was, turns out I was still 27. I understand why it needs to do it, but still. Yeah, just in case you walked in and someone handed you a beer, I guess. I bet that place has issues. I bet that's why. Probably so. Yeah, it's really sketchy. So for me, my first job, if you can consider it a first job, and I actually forgot until just now, I worked at a fireworks stand one summer. <laughs> if you imagine me with my short curly hair, sweating beads of sweat at like, I think I was 12 or 13. Oh my God. It was bad. <laughs> That was so bad. Uh, I hated it. And I, I bet you were pink for four months straight. We were inside, so it was, I mean, I was No, you covered. were sweaty. You get pink oh, when you're sweaty. That's true. Uh, the funny part is the guy I worked for was a customer of mine from one of my jobs up here in Edmond. 
Really? Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Um, my job after that, I'm going to go ahead and say three because they're all early. In high school, I worked for the local library. I basically indexed books, made the stickers for books, and reorganized shelving for a summer. That was brutal. And then I worked for an ice cream shop that my sister-in-law owns where we made ice cream sundaes and milkshakes and sandwiches and old-style cherry limeades where it was like sugar water and soda water. It's some boss cherry limeades. They're so good, but they're so bad for you. But those are my three jobs. Nothing fancy. My first real job was after I came to college and I started at the bank. My first real job was the next year when I went to work for the movie theater. I was there for six years. That's a long time. That's a long time. I have 13 years of customer service and sales experience. And I'm 27. That sounds terrible. I had more work, sales, and customer service experience as a teller at MidFirst Bank than the manager of MidFirst Bank. That sounds 100% right. <laughs> Well, just like your job at MidFirst Bank, as well as mine, let's wrap this up and get out of here. (laughs) Don't forget to thank our people. We're going to right now. We want to give a shout out and a thank you to our amazing Patreon backers. First of all, let's thank Allison, our great friend Allison. She's been amazing. We will thank our good friend Alan. He's been awesome. So looking forward to spending a weekend in a secluded cabin with him in May. Exactly, our May thing. We'll talk about that as it comes closer. But essentially, we're going to play board games with a bunch of people in a cabin in the woods. So excited for that. And then we're also going to thank Jesse and Catherine for being amazing supporters. You guys are great. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you very, very much. And thank you to everyone. If you want to be like them and get shouted out on the podcast, you can check us out. Patreon.com slash Malthouse Games. We also have Podpledge.com slash Malthouse Games for one-time donations. Those donations go toward podcast equipment, video equipment, things like that, so we can upgrade and do this better and make it easier for us and better for you. Thank you for tuning in to the Malthouse Games podcast. If you want to find us on social media, we are at Malthouse Games on all social media. If you have a game you want us to talk about, a topic to dive into, or a question for us at all, email us, contact at malthousegames.com. If you want to find me personally, I am at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. I guess I should spell Malthouse Games as M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. Then Haley is at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. At Squirrely Geek. I think that that's everything we need to bring up this episode. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Bye.